0: evening, everyone. Uh, Thank you so much, Anna and Tim and Barbara and Ruth and Dave. But Anna, thank you so much for how you've led us tonight. I don't know about you, but I've just found it incredibly helpful. And uh, that's one of those occasions where I don't really know if I need to say anything else that there is enough to take away and reflect on. But so far in this uh, series, Deep Cries to Deep, we have looked at three Psalms, three quite Different psalms. We've looked at Psalm 13, which is a prayer of lament. How long, Lord? Do you ever cry that? Do you ever pray that? Do you ever say that? Do you ever think that? How long, Lord? Is there any chance? Psalm 84, a prayer of longing. Better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. And then Psalm 32 Uh, A couple of weeks ago, a prayer of confession. Finally, I confessed all my sin. And for anybody who's uh, visiting, or if this is your uh, first time here on a Sunday evening for a while, the aim of this series is to reintroduce us or to reawaken us to the ancient practice of praying the Psalms. Of just taking individual psalms like 13 and 84 and 32 and not just praying with them. In other words, praying them as they are, but also praying from them. That is using the psalms as a launch pad or a catalyst for further expressions and cries of prayer. Because you see, we believe the psalms are a God-given, amazing resource that take us into the world of prayer. And help us to find our way about that world. And I sense many of you are enjoying rediscovering them. Or are appreciating the reminder to use them in order to enhance and strengthen your individual prayer life. And this evening we're going to look at one of the shortest Psalms. It's only three verses. And so you could memorize it in five minutes. That's 300 seconds to learn a whole chapter of the Bible. But as C.H. Spurgeon said, it is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. And we'll discover why in a moment. But once you've memorized it, and I really hope you will tonight. I really do hope you will memorize this. But once you've memorized it, and now I'm quoting David Paulson. Turn these words over in your mind before drifting to sleep. Before counselling someone else as you drive your car. When you approach God to talk, when you get noisy inside for whatever reason, recite these words together in public worship. Preach, teach this psalm, get the music and sing it with your brothers and sisters. So clearly some people feel this is a vitally important psalm and prayer. And here it is. It's categorized as a prayer of trust. And I'm going to read it once, and then I'm going to invite you to join me in praying it. Lord, my heart is not proud, and my eyes are not haughty, And I do not go after things too great or too difficult for me. Surely, I have composed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child on his mother. Like a weaned child, my soul rests on me. Israel, hope in the Lord, now and forever. Let's pray it together. Lord, my heart is not proud, and my eyes are not haughty, and I do not go after things too great and too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child on his mother. Like a winged child, my soul rests on me. Israel, hope in the Lord now and forever. And that's it. So short, less than 60 words. And I must admit that earlier in the week, whenever I again looked at what I had put down on the list of Psalms that we were going to look at, I thought, how am I going to spend 20 or 25 minutes on that? But the more I read it, and prayed it, and the more I read round it, and the more I listened to what other people have written and said about it, I realized these are profound words. Really profound words that challenge and actually take us to a whole other level. As someone has said, Psalm 131 calls us, urges us to dwell deep. Richard Foster in his classic book, Celebration of Discipline, says this. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. And I honestly believe this is a psalm to pray if you want to experience a new depth to your Christ-centred spirituality. These... Are the words the Psalm are the words of someone who knows their own heart. It is a grand thing for a man to know his own heart so as to be able to speak before the Lord about it. You see, the psalmist knows where he's at. And he's able to share his heart condition with his God. But these are also the words in the prayer of someone who's at peace inside. Someone who has discovered that peace that passes all understanding. They actually know what that's like. Sometimes you read those sort of verses. The peace that passes all understanding. You think, what what is that like? Well, here is someone who knows what that is like. And he's living in light of it. Here is someone who's not turning up inside. Here's someone who's not preoccupied. Here's someone who's not rushed off their feet. Who's not stumbling through a minefield of blind longings and fears. These are the words of someone who's quiet on the inside. Who's settled. Who's at peace. And is that you this evening? Honestly, is that where you're at tonight? Is that where I'm at? Is that our experience? And if it's not our experience, if we're churning up inside, we're preoccupied. The question to ask is, why not? What is it that's going on in here that's eating us up? What's leaving us irritated? What's dismantling our hope? What's wrecking our composure? The person who wrote Psalm 131 is in a good place. And therefore, in these next few minutes, I just want to explore. What is his secret? What is his secret? So that his words might become our words if you have a copy of a bible in front of you it would be great Uh, i'm not sure it's about page 625 well it's actually 625 uh, in the the bibles that are in the pews i think but as you can see from this uh, description of the psalm that appears in our bibles it is a psalm of David. so this was written by the man who had a heart after god He was the person who wrote and originally prayed these words some 3,000 years ago. And therefore it's really important to note that these are not the words of someone detached from the hustle and bustle of life. This is not the words of some recluse with a ton of time in his hands. David experienced pressure, joy, temptation, stress, heartache, outrage, affection, failure. And so Psalm 131's inner quiet comes in the midst of action. It comes in the midst of lots of relationships. It comes in the context of problems. Here was someone who was living in the real world, in real time, who faced real issues. Therefore, don't immediately distance yourself from this prayer thinking, but it was all right for him. His context is light years away from mine. Because to do that would be to make a grave mistake. And before we kind of explore the three parts of the prayer, I don't want us to miss what might seem like a blatantly obvious reality. This inner peace, quiet composure is learned in relationship. In a reliving relationship with Almighty God, David starts where all prayer must start. Lord. It's an immediate recognition of who God is. It's an admission, it's an acceptance that David hasn't got this far, hasn't got to this place by himself. Who David is, what David is, and where he has reached is how it's by the grace of God. Lord. David may go on to speak in this prayer of my and I. And it might sound like something he has done or achieved by himself. But right up front, he acknowledges relationship. Lord, Lord, you're where this comes from. You're my starting place. You're my end. You're everything in between. So let's break it down. In the first part, David starts by confessing his spiritual condition to God. This is who I am, God. And how he describes himself is intriguing. Question. Could you honestly pray this? It's a question I've been asking myself this week. Could I honestly pray these words? My heart is not proud. Whoa. And my eyes are not haughty and I do not go after things too great or too difficult for me. here is David praying to God, I'm not self-centered. I'm not self-trusting. I'm not opinionated. I'm not headstrong. I'm not superior to others. I'm not attempting the impossible. How has David got here? Well, we'll discover the process in a minute. But somehow, David has not only confronted pride, but he has learned humility. And that is some claim. As Michael Wilcox writes in his brief commentary on this psalm, there is something inherently odd about a claim to have learnt humility. (laughs) It's a fair point. But the challenge here cannot be overlooked. This is the virtue that every single one of us here, children of God, are called to pursue, if you refer back to our Deadly Seven series. Paul urges all Christians to do what? To clothe themselves with humility. And Jesus taught, you've got to humble yourself. Humble yourself and then you'll be exalted. David had discovered not to become obsessed with self. Not to look down on others. And he recognised his limitations. And one of the reasons why praying this particular psalm can be so helpful is that it can act as a constant reminder to confront pride and pursue humility. Think about it. If we do turn these words over as we drift off to sleep, every time we jump into our car, they would challenge us. They would challenge our spiritual condition, certainly challenge mine this week. Refocus our thinking. During the week, I came across an alternative, opposite version of Psalm 131. It's the anti-Psalm, as someone has described it. And if nothing else, this helps us to consider the flip side. The way of life or the state of heart that won't lead to inner peace or composure or quiet, but will lead to noise and restlessness. And here it is. And I have found this incredible, because this actually is maybe more like the kind of prayer that reflects my heart. self My heart is proud. I'm absorbed in myself. And my eyes are haughty. I do look down on other people. And I chase after things too great and too difficult for me. So of course I'm noisy and I'm restless inside. It comes naturally like a hungry infant nursing on his mother's lap. Like a hungry infant I'm restless with my demands and my worries. I scatter my hopes onto anything and everybody all the time. That's so clever. I'm a little uncomfortable and I'm a little close to the knuckle. And I suppose the big question I've been asking myself this week is, which version of this prayer more accurately reflects where I'm at? This prayer stands as a constant reminder to address pride which is one of, if not the, deadliest of all sins. But what about the second half of this verse? I do not concern myself with great things or things too wonderful me. Now you see, at face value it might seem small-mindedness. Those are the words of someone who's not up for a challenge. Those are the words of someone who lacks ambition, you might think. And yet... That would be to misunderstand what David is actually saying. You see, David realises that certain things are too majestic. They are too profound. They are way beyond him. This is actually a recognition to let God be God. It's an expression of submission. And we live in a world where increasingly people want to play God. There's no doubt that man can do amazing things, but who inspires and fuels the creativity? We can fly to the stars and seemingly control the destiny of certain nations. But the minute humanity thinks nothing is impossible, they can go it alone. Then something happens somewhere or to someone that reminds us exactly how fragile and dependent we are. We need God. And we need to accept our limits. God is in control and David recognized that, not him david prays i do not go after things too great or too difficult for me i know my place and whatever you do don't go after the wrong things because you'll only end up distracted disorientated and disillusioned which i suppose raises the question well what should we pursue what are we called to go after and I know this takes us a little beyond the psalm, but for me, the Apostle Paul's words to his young prodigy, Timothy, provides a response to that question. Flee from youthful lusts. What are they in? does he say? You should pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the name of the Lord with a, from a pure heart. Those are the things we should pursue and go after. The incredible thing is, they are not impossible. And they're not too difficult, it would seem. Go after the wrong things, you'll never be satisfied. You'll never know peace, you'll never know contentment. There will be a constant state of restlessness. But when you pursue what you're called to pursue, then you might just find what you're looking and longing for. And so as David begins to pray, he confesses his spiritual condition to God, and it's good. Where he's at is so exciting, it's so encouraging. He's confronted pride, he's embraced humility, he's submitted to God. But what was the process? How did he get there? David, how did you get there? And that takes us to the second part of this prayer. Surely, I have composed and quieted my soul like a wean child on his mother, like a wean child my soul rests on me. Think about it. This is about being what Anna has encouraged us to be. This is about being still. It's about stopping. It's about silencing the noise. It's about saying shh to your desires and your fears and your opinions and your anxieties and your agendas and your irritabilities. This is about the need to slow down and create some space in which to calm your soul back to Richard Foster near the start of that great book he writes this in contemporary society our adversary majors in three things noise, hurry and crowds if he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness he will rest satisfied psychiatrist Carl Jung once remarked hurry is not of the devil it is the devil You know, we live in a fast and frantic world. There is no time to slow down. There is no time to waste or wait. And silence is an increasing foreign concept. It's an uncomfortable experience for so many people today. And to be alone is alien. It's intimidating. And yet, if we are ever going to calm, if we're ever going to compose and quiet our souls, then a key aspect of this involves the need to be still. Just to be still and to know to dwell deep to be receptive to be in that place where we can hear the divine whisper where we can listen to his word And therefore realign our thinking, our priorities and our focus. Esther DeWall puts it like this. I think I've shared this quote before. When God's voice is drowned out by incessant clamor, whether inner or outer, in whatever shape or form, then dialogue with God becomes impossible. An inner monologue with myself, constant chatter with others, the invasion of the spoken word through the press and the television are all the ever-present realities in my daily life over which I need to exercise some sort of discipline if I am to keep any quiet inner space in which to listen to the word. You see, it's in that quiet, attentive place where self is put in its proper place. Pride is kept in check. And once again, God is allowed to come to the fore of our thinking and worship. And it's in that place that your soul is then at rest. It's at peace. It's content. And David drives this home with a great graphic metaphor. Like a weaned child, my soul rests. On, within me. Or, sorry, as the, uh, rests on me is how the NIV puts it. The New Living Translation puts it like this, and I think this is better and clearer. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. And it's really a picture of contentment. David's soul is not noisy, it's not agitated, it's not demanding, it's not fretting, it's not squirming around anxiously like a hungry nursing child. Instead, his soul is at rest. Finds peace in the knowledge that it will be fed, it will be nourished, it will be sustained by another. Like a weaned child who knows that rest and security is there in the presence of his or her mother. Is your soul at rest tonight? Is it churning up inside you? David's soul's not thrashing around. It's not needing or wanting anything. It's content in God. And for me, what I've discovered this week and what I suggest and offer to you is this. That praying this psalm will act as a constant reminder to slow down. It'll spark you in defending that quiet place. Where you engage and listen for the divine whisper. And finally, third part. Based on his own experience of a proper sense of self and his quieted soul, he then exhorts Israel to hope in the Lord now and forever. Now remember, this includes us. Because we are, according to Galatians 6.16, the new Israel. That's what Paul says. And so David calls us to set our hope in the Lord, the true God. You know, back To the anti-Psalm, so many people today, and we can fall into this trap, scatter their hopes onto anything and everybody all the time. And so often, as I've said, their hopes are shattered and they end up disillusioned and confused. But to hope in the Lord will provide perspective and an incredible future. If you have a Bible, just turn back to Psalm 130. the final couple of verses of that psalm because here is what it says, it's also on the screen Israel, it's you it's me put your hope in the Lord for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption he will redeem you from your sin you see hope in the Lord is to know, discover and enjoy forgiveness, rescue extravagant and outrageous love that's what it means to hope in the Lord. And no wonder David urges Israel to hope. And look at the time frame. It's now and forever. It's not a quick fix. It's not a temporary buzz. This is for a lifetime and beyond. So, let a wrap up. Back to Spurgeon's quote. Psalm 131 is one of the shortest to read, but one of the longest to learn. But let me suggest that by learning and memorizing it and praying it regularly, We keep pride in check. We constantly submit to God. We recall the need to calm our souls to dwell deep. And we affirm and reaffirm our hope in the Lord. And so just before Anna comes back, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And let's pray this prayer again together. Let's pray. Lord, my heart is not proud, and my eyes are not haughty, and I do not go after things too great and too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child on his mother, like a weaned child, my soul rests on me. Israel, Hope in the Lord, nigh and forever.